Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Michael Moog Aguilar. Michael is currently the Director of Esports and Co-Curricular Innovation at University of Oklahoma. He has a great take on the collegiate esports space, what OU has done uniquely. He talks a lot about the power of community in gaming and beyond. Let's talk to Michael. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today is my pleasure to welcome my friend Michael Moog Aguilar. He is the Director of Esports and Co-Curricular Innovation at University of Oklahoma. Boomer Sooner, my friend, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. My pleasure. So for today, we are suspending the Red River rivalry. Uh, being <laughs> here in Texas, I'm not, you know, I'm not a University of Texas alum, but I do live in Dallas, and oh, yeah. um, I can't I, escape it. <laughs> I do actually have a funny story for you. Sure. So uh, it just turns out that one of the best skate parks I've ever seen is in Norman, Oklahoma, mm. and so I took a three-hour drive there one day three-hour drive to skate for two hours before another three-hour drive back and after i finished skating i looked up some local food uh places some restaurants i said oh i'll I'll go find this place it looks like it has some good sandwiches so i walk in and i didn't even realize it but the red river rivalry football game was on and (sighs) i looked up at the screen and i said oh wow it's tied that's crazy and then i looked at the time and i said holy crap, there's only eight seconds left in this game. <laughs> and then, whether it was a pass or a handoff, uh, it went to the the OU receiver or running back, whichever it was, and he ran all the way in for the touchdown. The place exploded. Yeah. And I was like, nobody needs to know where I'm from. I just started cheering with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a smart move. Um, no, it's, it's interesting, you know, how that culture has been around forever. And um, I, uh, my Oklahomies and my, and my state right now, but... You know, we we talk about a state that's predominantly oil and gas as its majority of its economy, which has only been hurt over the years. Um, And so we latch on to our sports like no other for sure. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, Mm -hmm. So as far as, you know, latching on to sports to start off this conversation, have you seen that community, whether it's on campus or beyond campus in Oklahoma, have they latched on to esports or is that uh, looking further forward into the future there's some interesting conversions or con, con, convergences that are happening for sure as i'm starting to work more and more with ou athletes with um, student athletes being able to basically use their own names to start getting sponsorships and other things since the july one rulings from the ncaa and with our program has such a heavy emphasis on media and influencer development as components of programs that we actually scholarship the worlds are starting to collide a little bit in ideals perfect example which i'm sure we'll elaborate on la- later but as a touch point really quickly is we know that when we talk about traditional sports in regards to the mainstream accepted them are not equals. And while we try to view our student athletes as equals in all comparisons, regardless of gender, regardless of sport, um, we know that football in this part of the country, you just can't touch it, you know, in regards to the money it makes, the, the, the energy it comes versus even our, you know, national championship women's um, softball team, or usually our top five ranked, you know, women's gymnastics teams. Um, and so you don't get the same virality naturally with those different titles. But what you can do now with NIL is to start collaborating with them, give those student athletes other means to find their voice, their platform, become that role model, become, um, you know, that, that next generation of young kids or um, as a prospect, maybe as a brand extension of a company that's, that's uh, also looking for influencer style medias and want to support something that's maybe not quite pro scene, that's just riddled with policy and, and, um, and high tier execution and doing something a little bit more pretty cool convergences are coming. And then naturally, you know, there's, there's um, the gameplay itself um, being a football school more than anything, you know, you know, Learfield kind of getting in the space uh, last year um, as a COVID response, last two years as a COVID response, heavily focused on Madden. Um, and so I think that it's a weird convergence overwatch, a rocket league of Valorant. Um, and then you have, you know, athletics worlds, what they think is 2k and Madden and FIFA. And the problem is, is that from a cultural standpoint, you have the jocks over here that were still the people that punched the nerds in the face for playing video games. Mm-hmm. So you have to, through 
through intentional um, execution of figuring out what culture works, demographics, and then how to reduce some of those societal things that produce those, those barriers. The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by iShaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. Uh, what I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization. iShaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez, owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my ice shaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for ice shaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved onto your ice shaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC Drop branded ice shaker at iceshaker.com forward slash DLC Drop. Save 20% on all ice shaker products with the discount code DLC Drop. Yeah, you know, I really love that perspective on traditional sports. Uh, as we look at the kids on campus as far as an interest of sports and gaming beyond esports, of course, are you seeing um, any either differentiation or uh, a pull from traditional sports into kids who are more focused on games or are students on campus just as interested in softball and football and have now added uh, this gaming interest as I believe just about everybody on a college campus is a gamer nowadays. Pretty much 65% pretty much unanimous now. That's a pretty big percentage. Um, I would say that it's definitely... um, I wish that certain things would be more black and white, but I think this is very convoluted. I think a big portion is the part of the country that we're in as well, um, coupled with the fact that we're a Division One Power Five University, um, as well as a Tier One Research Campus as well. So those things all compound to different cultural things that cannot entirely be translated to a community college or even a D two D three school or JUCO school or NIA school. Um, again, for, between OU's campuses, we have three different campuses, Norman, which is the primary one we all known for our mm-hmm. health science center in OKC, and then our Tulsa expansion. And, um, we also are comprised of around 30,000 students and around 10,000, you know, eight to 10,000 staff faculty and abroad. So when we try to, when we try to quantify that data, one is challenging because it is very diverse. Um, yeah. and at the same time, the, the wonderful response I have to that is that the answer is yes to all. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't strategically or intentionally say that it's exclusively one more one more than the other in regards to those two kind of scenarios. Yeah. So we are seeing bleed over from traditional athletics pipeline um, students and we are seeing um, a little bit of um, of of convergence from those that would be more the introverted gamer stereotype that now care a little bit more about the traditional athletics form. So I think that, that over time and maturity that will continue to scale up. But um, for now, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it uh, a metric that I have my eyes on. Gotcha. Now, as I'm going uh, back in my memory, as we're having this conversation, um, you know, I'm thinking back to when we first met when I was at GameStop and I was leading partnerships and working to figure out esports. And one of our targets there was college. And Mm -hmm. I remember you being one of my first phone calls there and just coming away with like, oh, my goodness, this guy, Michael, really (laughs) knows what he's doing. He's got a very, I would say, unique perspective on the space. And there were some things that OU was able to do, whether just at that time, or maybe you're still the only ones doing this, but there were some ways that you were operating in the esports space differently than other universities. Can you talk a little bit about your unique approach and what you were able to do? Yeah. So um, this is uh, this is actually a little bit of segue. Give me some history on me, and this will help explain why I built the program the way I did. So I've been a gamer since the, the mid '80s. I got my Atari Twenty Six Hundred in West Germany when the wall was still up. Wow. Um, military brat, and um, and so that was the first experience. And gaming became the epicenter of the household because we're in foreign soil. My brother and sister both played soccer at the time. I was too young, mm. um, and so I naturally went to gaming and sci-fi and cartoons. So, but I always remember we would sit down and we would play games together. My parents would watch, you know, so it was a really interesting and unique story to have that support early on. Uh, moving into my teenage years back in the U.S., dad retired at Fort Sill in Lawton, Oklahoma. And, um, and so we're still kind of before the, the broadband launching age. Uh, Brood War hasn't come out. Starcraft hadn't come out yet. 
Um, and so I remember obviously getting my next consoles, which was Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, um, and, and moving forward. So the biggest thing, the most important milestone, I think, in my head was in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, when World of Warcraft came out. Mm. And uh, it was one of those things where I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I was able to overcome a lot of my own social anxieties, my own introverted nature, and um, and really kind of just enjoy a game with other people for once and on a bigger scale. And so became a raid leader, guild master, and um, even got to the point of marrying people inside of the game and wow. then coming to Oklahoma City, hosting them for a wow BQ, as we called it at the time. And, uh, and really just enjoying camaraderie, despite still being very anxious socially and uh, introverted. Hmm. And I'll never forget the picture and that it painted and the picture that we took at one of them, where there's this photo of my guildmates that are, there's probably about 30 of us total in this photo. And in the photo, you have people that are in a wheelchair, you have every skin tone under the sun, you have you know gender representation, you have religious representation, blue collar, white collar, um, adults, children, single parents, you know, uh, double parent households, you have this perfect kind of microcosm of what gaming represented. Mm. So that became extremely important to me because I became everyone's counselor. I became, you know, the, the, the social conduit for everyone trying to help put out fires, help give advice, help listen, um, just do that. And which started to spark the ideals of mental health and understanding the, the community aspect and how vital it was to one, making sure that my networks and my friends that I valued were okay and healthy or as healthy as I can get them. And then two, that they can also feel needed and wanted mm. and welcomed regardless of whatever adjective we put over their head. Yeah. So there was a, you know, a gap between that moment and then 10 years later um, where basically the CIO of IT for OU came back from an Amazon summit and basically asked what the heck is Twitch? Mm. And that's what started the entire OU journey. And so, Going from that World of Warcraft story was so important because I knew no matter what I wanted to build, that community had to be the epicenter at all costs. Without the community, it becomes this cold, exclusive topic, yeah. which is kind of the opposite of what education should be about. And there's a, this is where a lot of the differences, differences between me and my collegiate peers come into place. I took the burden on trying to satisfy the needs and wants of every gamer. I didn't care if they were competitive, if they were casual, if it was Animal Crossing or Halo. I wanted to listen, hear, and see what I could do to enable a space for them, whether that be digital or physical, for them to feel welcome. Hmm. And the way that I did that was through three different metrics or three different gradable kind of my compass. The first was a student voice. If I couldn't find students that were willing to do at least 50% of the work, then it was a moot point. It wasn't going to go anywhere because you couldn't, you can't make students do what you want them to do. It's just not going to happen. They barely read emails. They don't, you know, it's hard to motivate them. They have to be self-motivated, Yeah. but they don't know how to connect those dots from a business standpoint. And that's where I came in. So it's a matter of saying, let me take care of, here's how we need to operate. Here's the scope of what the university's policies are. So as long as we stay within this window, we can do whatever we want. And so students started to understand that and started to embrace the idea of building instead of just playing games with their friends, understanding how to build infrastructure. So um, the second metric that we used or compass was the university mission. Whatever was the mission of the statement or whatever strategic plan was being released, we had to use that as a reference to stay aligned because at the end result, as this extrapolates over time or grows over time, I didn't want it to be a growth on the surface of OU. I wanted it to be actually a component of its nervous system where I, people know where to yeah, go. Yeah, I think that's a great point that, you know, a lot of times when you're, counterculture or you're kind of a, a subculture, you could say, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a group that wants to be their own thing. Right. But I think it's important while we want to establish our own identities with our own communities and things is understanding where can growth come from and how can we enable growth from both sides, right? And so it sounds like with your experience and your approach here is you're saying, hey, the way that this is going to grow and be most successful is if it is actually part of OU rather than we're just on campus and we're completely separate. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's exactly it. The The third and final point was what was the industry doing? You know, if mm-hmm. you look at an Evil Geniuses org chart or who they hire, what are the jobs that they're actually employing? Yeah. That's the industry. The five people, six people on stage or less that are competing, 
that's the small drop in the bucket. That's the 1% of the 1%. Yeah. But the meat that makes Evil Geniuses run or a TSM or a Cloud9 or any of these organizations, whether they be traditional esports competition or 100 Thieves, 100 Thieves, you know, Nate Shot will tell you that he's he's a media company as well as a merchandising company alongside esports. Yeah. He's not exclusively an esports company. And that's important for the diversification of building those pipelines. But that also is the responsibility and job of entities like educational systems like mine that is supposed to create the professionals of the today and tomorrow, especially when we have the foresight about tomorrow. Hmm. So those three kind of compass you know, points were what's what's built us from from the very beginning in 2016, 2017, as I was getting started. And it's been insane, um, the growth in regards to the entire sector. When I started in 2016, less than 20 universities and the first power five that elevated the same week, which was AJ Dimmick at Utah. Mm-hmm. And then now in 2022, we're over 400 universities with institutional support of some of some type. So that's explosive growth. And uh, so I, I, I faced every kind of adversity from administration that you can imagine, especially one being at a bigger university that's just ridden with politics and red tape and, and things like this for, for good reasons. You know, universities like OU or UT or Texas Tech or Baylor, we don't get any passes in the media. Right. If something happens on our campus. It's at the very least regional news. Sure. Um, and uh, and oftentimes, depending on egregious it is, can be national news. So that's um, taking a game like Call of Duty, for instance, and putting that logo on it. And it's mm-hmm. the, the more toxic nature of it is a massive liability concern and just the optics of the university. And so those those things have to be matured. They have to be mentored. They have to be um, coached. And saying, hey, if you, you know, we have to where mental health and psychology comes in as yeah. an opportunity of just saying, guys, you're getting triggered, you're getting tilted. It's okay to be human and have human responses. Hmm. It's about what you do with that emotional response that defines who we are as a brand and how you are as a player and how we function as a team. If we can overcome that, I'll support Call of Duty all day. And we struggled yeah. with it last year when it was our first year. But now, not a problem at all. They understand that. Um, if they can bite their tongue and vent to us on the inside versus on the outside, it's a much better day the next day um, versus, you know, collegiate directors now having to drop, you know, basically statements, basically saying, we don't condone this kind of support. We now, you know, no different than when an athlete steps out or, sure. you know, a professional, you know, we see them all the time, the nice 1920 by 1080 of, you know, personal statement or mission statement or, or a statement of intention. Um, on Twitter after something happens. We, we're having to do that now too. Yeah, so when you talk about a brand and you talk about that logo, I remember one of the unique things with uh, OU Esports was the ability to use the OU right. logo with uh, the Esports team, which is very rare. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about uh, what brought that to fruition and what that has, what the result of that has been, both challenges and also opportunities. I think this is a. I think this is one one of the definitely a unique story for us uh, in our timeline. Is I've had the logo for utilization now since um, early fall 2018, mm-hmm. and originally started as the OU Esports Club, which you can't see it, but it's this jersey over here, and now it's just OU Esports as a full department, um, just like OU Athletics. And um, the 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 wonderful thing with that is that I I had decently progressive and innovative people within the licensing department, and uh, my Learfield reps at OU are are they like to communicate, like they're actively communicating, which I know is not the case for all campuses. Mm-hmm. So we sat down, I only had two meetings really. We sat down and said, this is the intentions, this is the timeline, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. And they said, all right, well, how about this? We will we will kind of pilot your your ability to use the logo um, for, a, for a year. And as long as we don't have any problems or violations or anything that we can't correct physically, you know, we'll, we'll make it more of a standardized thing, which led us into a VP of the University of Dean of Students elevating it to department. So now it's, now it's unreversible. Um, yeah. at that point. Um, but uh, the, the biggest proposal in that was just saying that um, this is not a student-led initiative anymore. It's uh, it, never, it never truly was exclusively a student-led initiative. I wanted students along the way and to be mentored and also contribute actively through its development, um, even, even past the de- departmental stages. I wanted them actively developing this to take ownership of this because culturally, they're better aligned with the current consumption and the future of what this industry represents. Hmm. However, I understand more about how academia works and the business world works and things like this. And when you're vulnerable and humble enough to be able to listen and understand both sides, then it, it makes you very formidable. And um, you can joke in that, you know, you can, from the age differentials, I'm almost 40 now in March. 
Um, and, and some of my students are less than half my age. Yeah. So not, not treating that as an opportunity of elitism and treating that as an opportunity of vulnerability mm. is what's helped me gain favor, favor with a lot of students because, yeah, there's things I know that you won't. There's things that uh, I can do that you can't. However, that doesn't devalue you in this equation. That's just my part of the formula. I need you too to get to that sum of all parts, period. There is no other way that I do it. And that's allowed me to find some amazing student champions that have helped me build OU's program using me as the lead. Yeah, I love that idea of empowering younger people and helping to guide them and then also leaning on what they bring to the table as well. Uh, how much would you say that your commonality with your students just being gamers has increased the level of your relationship with them? I think it's, I think it's helped a ton. Um, back to school, I think it was kind of a beautiful kind of esports developer, director, dad, uncle moment where, you know, back to school is a fun time. You get to meet your incoming freshman class, a big group of them and help them kind of find their places, or at least give them the idea of what this can represent if they, you know, they subscribe to this, to this community or, or whatnot. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting down with a group of students, I, they're all freshmen. Um, and uh, the, the first beautiful thing about this moment is that there was three of them, they were playing uh, Monster Hunter on the Switch. And all three of them hadn't known each other until that day. So yeah. That was the first kind of win moment because that was the whole point. The second one is I sat down with my Switch um, and I said, uh, well, first of all, I don't know anything about this game. Would you guys mind sharing just a little bit? Not trying to have to teach me everything, just sharing what's going on on the screen right now, mm-hmm. basically. And so they did. And in that moment, they were all now feeding off of each other. I was learning. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, now I know those students. And now one of those students has applied for a leadership role because they, they help break that ice. And cool. so that's uh, it's definitely been a, a moment where for me, um, and I think this is what's actually kept me feeling younger um, in my own just uh, lifestyle. Yeah. Is that I understand that being the old guy on the block has its disadvantages and it has its advantages and embracing all of it, not being ashamed of any of it. And then understanding that um, I don't, I don't just because I'm I'm further along in my journey and career does not put me in a place of supremacy. It sure. puts me in a place of leveraging that wisdom as a means to to help elevate and ex- and develop them so that when they do graduate and they spread their wings, they don't crash and burn. They yep. crash and burn while they're here so that when they do have a livelihood that depends on them, the kids, you know, future kids or significant other or household that if they do falter, they'll know how to take a punch and keep rolling which is one of those life lessons that we all wish we could learn earlier in life of how to fail and how to recover from it. Yeah, if you fail when you're younger and you have help with people helping you deal with failure, then when you're older and you don't have that safety net, you've gained the ability and the skills to deal with those things. Um, I I love how you're talking about your age. You and I are very close in age. Uh, My 39th birthday will be in April. So we're not too far away. One of the things that I've found that's really beneficial uh, for myself, and I think you, this is the same in your life as well, is kind of being in between two groups of t- people who can't really talk to each other, but they need each other. And you're that translator. I found myself being that person uh, in business. And it sounds like you're that person on campus where you can speak the language of the administrators and you can speak the language of the student gamers. Talk a little bit about uh, that value and uh, what that's enabled you to be able to do. So, so that was a Mr. Miyagi moment, actually. And it's absolutely true. If I was to say what was one of the biggest skill sets I've learned is patience and then translation. Mm. And uh, I, I was actually my mom who taught me that skill without realizing it because my mom is absolutely not tech savvy. Okay. My dad, however, is... Um, but um, both my dad was my dad was a professor. My mom was a speech therapist in the public schools. So I'm a third generation um, educator, mm-hmm. third generation service member. Um, and I've been a public servant, you know, in multiple different uh, instances as well. And so in that journey, I've had to always be that translator. And so I, I was the techie. Um, um, and granted, I work for OU in IT and I still do that on top of the directorship. Um, but I was the guy in IT that would go out of my way and say, well, cool, well, this is the phone I want. And then I would go buy the opposite. So if I had an Android as my primary, I'd have an iOS at the same time hmm. because it helped me translate what was going on, knowing that this demographic used this you know, device or this tech. And that, that was a skill set I acquired way before this journey. But it was as simple as that. Um, not that anyone can just go and afford to buy some of these devices. It's ridiculous how they've gotten. But the point was <laughs> is that... Um, you translate, you can translate when you can translate back and forth, you know, understand the academia, understanding the analytics, that the, the um, older generation or the administrative, um, you know, tier 
cares about versus what the the Gen Z audience or Gen Alpha audience even um, values is absolutely probably one of the most important skill sets because one of the one of the things that really helped me kind of get over my my extensively introverted nature was my 2019 TED talk where um, if anyone watches that uh, my voice cadence is all over the place because I'm really nervous mm, yeah but after I went back and it was published and I rewatched it in that moment I realized that my voice is no longer about me. My voice represents all those students that um, I'm now fighting for to legitimize this topic and the eight-year-old version of me that wished this stuff existed already. Yeah. So that, um, from a psychological standpoint, has really pushed me forward into understanding my power and really utilizing the privileges that I've worked for and how to benefit others through them. I love that. So speaking of translating uh, to different uh, groups of people, I think just about every student sees value in there being an esports or a gaming club or representation on campus. How have you effectively translated to the administrators and the leadership at the school to communicate this is the value that universities receive from having gaming and esports clubs or scholastic integration? Yeah, so there's there's multiple fronts on this. I'll try to keep this quick because it can get really long-winded, but the very first one that I did was when we formalized the, the, the gaming community aspect, which was 2017, having the MBA background really helped me here and the business kind of analytical thinking um, of logistics. When we created the registration form, um, we made sure that we were capturing um, data that one was legal to capture, but two, basically kind of the keys to the kingdom of data analytics for us, uh-huh. which is the student ID. So in that, I was able to advocate for access and running reports to that student ID. So now I didn't have to sit there and extract all this stuff out of a student. I just wanted to know their name, their IGN, their OU email, their shirt size, and OU ID. Mm-hmm. Really simple one-page form. Anyone can fill it out in less than a second. And in that one form, as people were registering, now we had the ability of, of putting, a, putting um, you know, analytics to this. I can tell you on a day-to-day basis the gender breakdown of my communities, at least in a, in a, in a, in a pretty decent sample size. Yeah. So that was able to make it irrefutable this is impacting these demographics. There's a heavy STEM emphasis. There are women involved. There are international students involved, which international students are, are one of the hardest topics to interact with outside of international programs because mm. they're so stifled often by language barriers that they rarely make friends outside of the, the same cultural students that come here with each other. Right. And mm-hmm. so overcoming that is a challenge, but gaming allows us to do that, especially games like League of Legends and Genshin Impact right now, mm-hmm. which is allowing me to tap into both the gaming and esports realms um, differently. So that was kind of the first kind of huge milestone, but that was day one. Like that was, that was the idea from the very beginning and being able to re- run that report is also one of those things that helped the, the logo argument, the departmentalization argument, because I can tell you who we are. And yeah. not only who we are, I can tell you specifically who's involved. Mm. And um, and that 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 makes it just, uh, it's just not, an, it's not it's a moot point to argue at that point. It's not a trend, they want it. Yeah. So one of the next things that we did was um, when we, uh, when we started to, to expand our programs, um, we started to build basically six pillars of intention. The first one being leadership. Naturally, students are leading the charge. They're getting mentored. They're sitting in conversations. If I have a business proposal or anything, students are invited to sit on that. Um, depend whether or not the, the the level of that relationship, they may be involved in the actual interactions with it, but they are allowed to sit and, um, and shadow basically in real-time business conversations. And um, because I want them to have that firsthand experience. I don't care if um, it's a, a meeting that goes sour, they need to see that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's it. So if I ever have any vendors that come at me and, and I tell them, hey, I'm going to invite students to come in this, this is my leadership and they ever give me pushback, that's not my vendor, mm-hmm. um, period, uh, because I'm, a, I'm an institution of learning and everything is an opportunity for learning. The second pillar, which is the absolute most important, is the community pillar for us. And the reason why I have so much emphasis, aside from the obvious ones we already talked about, is most of these colleges and universities are building these esports programs that are focused on competition. Yeah, at least as the primary focus and emphasis, 75% of their energy is poured into that at a minimum. And my problem with that is that who are the fans of those teams for those universities? Good question. Just, just because I'm OU doesn't mean that my entire you know community is going to be a fan of it. They'll be more inclined to at least open it because of that brand, but that yeah. doesn't mean they're going to be a fan of it. So if I don't build a community to be the fans of my teams, I'm not building strong alumni for the future. I'm not building, you never know what the networking is going to show you as those students become 
professionals and start businesses or on their career paths and align with other things. Mm -hmm. So the community emphasis was such a big deal because it sets the tone for everything else. And it allowed me to build a culture that is inclusive and protects itself. It's now self-regulating. If somebody steps out spam or anything like this, it gets called out, it gets rectified usually within five minutes to 10 minutes. It's Mm -hmm. insane how quick it's gotten. But that's the dream of having a self-regulating community that only needs micro adjustments over time to stay healthy and inclusive and understand that you can have differences and still be friends. That we need more of that in society in general. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. How are you teaching that? (laughs) That that, that one is just saying, use gaming as your North Star. Mm. And if, if that is it, then it really doesn't matter. It's just a grounds to have a conversation about our differences, not as a means to separate us. Because I don't care if you're one political party or the other, if you both play Genshin Impact, why does that political party matter as much in that moment? It doesn't. Right. So stick to that as a glue of just saying, hey, I actually enjoy having people to play with. Mm. So I need to understand that I have to, under- I have to understand the balance of give and take because they're equal components. Um, and uh, that, that in itself is just an organic cultural byproduct of things I've learned over the years. And, and it's absolutely in fruition here. So the, um, the third pillar, news and media, we had to tell our own story. We had to be our own Kotaku. We had to be our own ESPN. We had mm-hmm. to do all those things. So I have basically a media team and a news team. They write articles. They do event coverage. They, um, they do uh, montages. These, these students have created documentaries about our development. Now, two episodes wow. of them that are about 20 minutes long each that I didn't ask for. It's all student initiative. But imagine you get to write a resume that has an OU logo on it in your portfolio that says I created a documentary of a brand new department on the service of a D1 Power 5. So That's those, priceless. Those, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, the next one is our production division. We have to shoutcast our own games. In the earlier years, it was really kind of broken. It's still not perfect now. Um, in fact, we just saw College Cod basically put it into their guidelines that now all games can be streamed without permission from the other team. Unless mm. College Cod is streaming it themselves, then they have exclusive rights to those streams. Otherwise, stream at will, which we would we want to see more of because it allows us to elevate more shoutcasters, more production people, <coughs> um, more lighting engineers, sound engineers, things like this, which is, again, part of the industry that's needed. Um, the fifth one, which is still kind of, I still call it beta, despite it being three or four years old now, is our influencer development division that focuses on building those students that aren't necessarily focused on, on the sweatiest or hardcore of gameplay, mm-hmm. but they understand how to engage a community. They know how to entertain. They know how to leverage brand power and understand um, timing of, of and a cadence of, to stay you know, on top of a community and, um, and help build their own brands. So now we're starting to basically authorize utilization on private streams that the OU logo as basically no different than like um, a Valkyrie streaming for 100 Thieves. Same sure. exact scenario. And then the last one, Intercollegiate Esports, we are currently developing 14 teams across across 12 different titles. Now, the beauty of this and, and what made this work is that all six of these pillars have now been in execution since late 2017, early 2018. All six of them are now scholarship enabled as of this school year. Hmm. So that was really kind of the huge milestone for me in legitimizing the fact that the industry needs all these types of professionals to sustain itself. We can't just focus on the gameplay. And the other thing, too, is, is that this industry changes on a dime. We saw some pretty big news in, from Microsoft today yep. um, that should be transformative in a lot of different ways, especially with Call of Duty, more than probably any of those other titles on there, and then Overwatch second. Yeah. So that's, um, but those, that's how we approached it. And doing that allowed us to be extremely inclusive. Um, when we talk about the community pillar, the, the largest student-led community now, which is OU Gaming Club, which we now sponsor as a department that we birthed all of this from, is now 2,700 members deep. And on the development side, all six pillars of actual development is over 210 students. That's incredible. And 45 of them are under scholarship. I hear you talking a lot about community. Community from the very beginning when you were, uh, you know, playing World of Warcraft, you're you're developing these friendships across the globe. Obviously, what you're doing on campus here. Can you give our audience a few keys on how to develop a community if they haven't done so yet? I think the, I think the biggest one is is understanding how to listen. Um, we always walk into any scenario. You, you you know your first interaction. You have your your preconceived notion about somebody, how they handle themselves, how they how they um, you know, carry their language, how they form their sentences, how they string together their thoughts. And the problem with this is that, um, again, this is a unique scenario coming from somebody who started this journey 
in my um, in my mid to kind of late or early 30s mm-hmm. um, and still talking to 18 year olds. But I have to remember one of the things that I always laugh at with adults and parents, especially is obviously our priorities change over time and the things that we value and the things that we have to protect and fight for. However, we were still 18 at some point. Yeah. And you have to remember what the world looked like at 18. You thought it was actually broad and wide. And as you get older, it gets kind of smaller over time as dots connect and you see how things work. And it's hard to translate that to somebody who has a 15 year you know, age difference between. True. But that's where it's so important to listen because it'll help you come back to that earlier time of your life and just say, you know what? I hadn't learned that lesson yet. Hmm. So instead of trying to just be teacher, teacher, teacher all the time, at least as a direct attack approach, you understand how to bake that into the execution of what you do. So you hear, you hear, um, you know, 18, 19 year old, you know, sophomore freshman come in and bright eyed, starry eyed, you know, sitting on top of a hill, even though they feel like the small fish in the pond, but they just don't know enough about what they can and can't do yet. Yeah. And what you, what the biggest thing you need to do is not stifle that dream because yeah. so many of us have forgotten how to dream True. and embracing that as an opportunity to really feel the inspiration from them. And that's, again, I think part of the recipe of what makes me feel young still at almost 40, despite my hips and my knees. Um, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, to see the glow in the 18 and 19 year old's face, because one, they've been heard, two, they've been enabled. And not only that, now they've been able to take you know ownership of something on a big scale. I have a 22 year or 21 year old that can use the OU logo and Twitters without having to ask anybody. Wow. Yeah. Like that, because of that trust, because of that, the relationship building and then understanding that it's a two way street in communication. And then it's, it's the other thing of teaching them humility, um, Hmm. on top of the empathy and, uh, the humility component is just, is just a simple statement of saying, you don't know everything. Yeah. Neither do I, but it requires both of those statements in the same phrase, because at that point, I, I don't look at my students, again, it's not a point of supremacy, it's a point of equality, of just saying, you know, if I grew up in a different part of the world, I would look at the world completely different than you. True. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, and that's no different than being 15 years in advance. Every generation's had their struggles. Gen Z has COVID. We had 9-11, you know, the 80s for the Gen X, and then, you know, Vietnam and everything else prior to that. Hmm. We all had our individual struggles and we all had to deal with it. I couldn't imagine not walking the stage from my high school graduation. Right. But yet I have sophomores that have that scenario um, or going to prom, even if I was an anxiety ridden, you know, teenager with pimples all over my face and sitting on the wall as a wallflower. It was still an iconic moment and a rite of passage. Right. So you can't you can't go back and unlearn that entirely in your own journey. So being sensitive to the idea that um, not only is it a socioeconomic difference or a religious difference or a heritage based difference. Um, it's everything is a difference opportunity and it's not necessarily a topic that will cause us to rift. It's really more of a topic, uh, an opportunity to cause us to get closer when you approach diversity properly and embrace it and understand that change is a normal element in everyday equations, not just a random thing. That's like, Oh man, I guess I got to change again today. No, be excited about change. Be excited <coughs> about those things. Um, and then you, you kind of stay lively because of it. Yeah. One thing that I'm kind of blows my mind. I'm glad I wasn't around when I was in junior high and high school is social media. I just (laughs) I I think about adding on top of all of the drama that was already there. You know, Susie's following this person and no longer following you. I only got so many likes. They have 5,000 followers. Why am I losing followers? Comments. MySpace at best. (laughs) Exactly. So. When you're talking about listening, I think one of the other keys, too, is listening and speaking to younger people in the ways that they do, Uh, Mm -hmm. Discord being one of those things. Um, Discord is relatively new. Can you share a little bit about how you've been able to utilize that effectively? Yeah. So um, this actually goes into a scholastic component, too. But um, with Discord, in the first year, it was a a walled garden Discord. We didn't let anyone in unless they were verified. So they could join the Discord, we put the links out there. Once they registered, they gain access to the rest of the Discord. So it wasn't like there's a rule section and you submit your student, we verified it. Mm-hmm. So we protected that community at all costs. Mm-hmm. At the very least, you knew everyone that was in that server was a student at OU, period. And in 2019, we gained partnership with Discord and opened it up as we were getting ready to announce scholarships, knowing that it would draw in high school perspectives, which it absolutely has. Cool. So 
this discord is absolutely um, all over the place. It's a little bit unruly um, because we have so many different channels for so many different communities. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that the majority of those communities that are established that we list as established communities, they're actively active. Like that Mm -hmm. was the point. So it warrants our ability to do that. And what, one of the things that I've, I pushed back with students and and we've had conversations and they ended up winning um, was, you know, I wanted it to be where, this discord can be a little intimidating when you have like 30 channels, 40 channels, and you have all these different color codes and different ranks and these different things. And I wanted to simplify it mm-hmm. thinking about the context of it being, you know, for me as a 39 year old now or 38 year old at the time, 37 versus an 18 year old. And then I have to remember that says I'm the more tech savvy portion of the millennial generation. <laughs> True. So this is my threshold, but at 18, if I was born into this, mm-hmm. I can't imagine how much easier that is for them to process. Yeah. So at the same time, what I wanted to do is like saying, if I'm a fan of Apex and I hit Apex in there, it only shows me the Apex channel after that fact. Mm. But they're like, no, we just want to open to everyone because by letting people know those channels exist, they will be inclined to go and visit those channels. Otherwise, they'll forget that they have to go back to rules or roles and reconfigure those things. Again, students making those decisions Mm. and me letting go of it and saying, okay, and it served us well, 2,700 members deep. That's really so, smart. Yeah, you go back to being a translator and listening, right? And so what you're doing here is you're empowering the group who's going to be using it to dictate how it's being used so that it is in fact used when a lot of times when we try to get people to do stuff in an unnatural way, it just ends up not being used at all rather than saying, hey, why don't you help me understand how you would best use this and then you adopt that. Speaking of humility, um, that's uh, that's something that's coming from you in that experience. I think that's great. Yeah. The other side of that, before I move on, the other side of that is that when COVID hit, um, you know, most of these schools are using things like a D2L or a Canvas, you know, kind of mechanism to facilitate curriculum and, and learning. The problem with those things is those things are not organic to it. They're a good repository mm-hmm. for light touch interaction, but they're not meant for deeper dives. And so we saw an uptick across any campus, but at OU, I had over probably 20 different faculty ask, reach out. That's where the co-curricular innovation component comes from. Reach out to say, can I use Discord as a means to facilitate classes and build mm. community? And I said, absolutely. Can you teach us what we need to get started to protect ourselves and our students? Yes. Yeah. And um, those schools, those, I started with the faculty that had TAs because the TAs, they caught onto that really quickly or they already knew how. For sure. So this point, they're like, wait a minute, you want me to use my Discord knowledge to, all of a sudden? And then at that same point, now they were the, the fan favorite faculty because their classrooms were, were helping avoid some of the Zoom burnout and the Canvas burnout and things like that. So we, we deployed it and a lot of stu- uh, faculty are still using it today despite us being back on premise. Um, in fact, my class uh, uses Discord as a backbone too, actively during curriculum. So those, um, but it's nice to see that also as another means of, again, being a growth in the nervous system of the university versus on top of it, actually empowering how we do day-to-day operations through our culture. That's really cool. That's another benefit to universities is utilizing the consumer behavior of gamers who Mm -hmm. greatly make up the student body to communicate to them more effectively because that's the the channel and the source that they're using anyway to talk to each other. So you're going to them, you're increasing, um, you know, that communication. I think that's fantastic. Uh, As we only have about, let's see, about 15 minutes here. I want to get to one more topic as time flies, talking to you, my friend. Um, And that is uh, pathways to careers through esports and gaming. And this is another benefit with universities is um, you can use it as a recruiting tool. Um, You can also open the eyes of young people of what they can do for the rest of their lives in a way that taps into their passion and is relevant to them. So share a little bit about that. Yeah. So this is a great one because again, this is another one that I wonderfully love that it's not a black and white answer. Um, in my 2019 TED Talk, I kind of prefaced the title of that as esports in higher education, the perfect landscape for development, hmm. because we have tons of resources on our campuses. We have labs, we have curriculum, we have research opportunities, we have staffing, we have um, different other anemones that can benefit um, students in general as an infrastructure before we even talk about gaming and esports culture. So when we talk about an opportunity for K through 12 and youth, I am a big proprietor that not everyone needs to go to college. And uh, sure, I butt heads with my own administration sometimes whenever I say that. I don't care. 
um, because we also know that higher education is only getting has only gotten more expensive and kind of out of control more expensive. Yeah. So we have to do a better job about adding more value to that investment to make it worth it. And the other component of it is also understanding that education in regards to a degree or, you know, an undergrad or a master's or doctorate is just another tool in the toolbox. Mm. It is not exclusively the only tool that you call upon to be successful. True. You have to network. You have to get some experiences. You have to gain, you know, some some cuts and bruises along the way to be that battle hardened employee that can work and make your own decisions and take control of your career path. So that was, that's always my lesson whenever I am in even in recruitment or even current students is like, guys, if you're failing, maybe this isn't the right move for you, or maybe it's not the right move at you for you right now. Yeah. I didn't, I went to college right after high school and I bombed horribly. I was not mentally mature or ready for this. And then yeah. I dropped out, went skateboarding and then came back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went and enlisted in the military and then 9-11 happened and then I woke up real quick. Wow. So 27, 26, or when I was 26, 27, then I finished my undergrad and my master's back to back. Mm. But I also saw the value in them at that time. I didn't see that in at 18. Same. I was yeah. just told this is the way that this should go. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of the first kind of lesson I talk about when we talk about this. The second is that we have schools that are developing certificate programs. We have schools that are developing degrees, majors, minors, and things like this. I don't, I don't have any negative anything to say about all those things, except some of these things may need to be stalled out a little bit more or yeah. pushed fat harder. So when I come to certificate programs, I get it. They, they make a lot of sense. They have good value, especially if you build a good team. Um, we shared that experience at SMU um, yeah. recently, but at the same time, being an adjunct isn't a way of life. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> You're telling me I taught one yeah. semester. I was like, yeah, it, I don't have time for the this. nature of adjuncting in higher education. Another component that needs to be changed Yeah, as you're spinning up new ideals and thought for curriculum and teaching. So that's one hurdle that higher education already has in its own way. Hmm. But that certificate byproduct to the student does have its value because you can expose them to a lot of things really fast. But again, in that type of environment, which majority of those certificate programs are digital almost exclusively, mm-hmm. you're missing the bigger component, which is experience, the actual hands-on ability to do those things. Right. Learning and getting lectured at and understanding philosophy and technique, there's nothing wrong with that. But it can exclusively be your journey in trying to be a marketable uh, professional. So when we start talking about degrees, then the schools start to change their narrative a bit and now are getting a little more hands-on and involved. So for me, I don't, I, I personally am not trying to take OU down a path where we're building majors and minors, maybe for another three to five years at earliest. Hmm. The biggest reason goes back to that compass that I used that third, that third compass point, which is go ask any of those employees at evil geniuses, what degrees they have. And none of them have the word esports in it. Right. So that time will eventually come. But the other problem from the context of ethical behavior as an institution of learning is that if I put out an esports degree, it's going to be buzzworthy. So yeah. that means 17, 18 year olds are going to be like, oh, mom and dad, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go and get into $100,000 worth of debt or more or less mm-hmm. to get this degree because I think that that's going to get me a job in the space. What I should be doing is promoting that these traditional tracks, which we can all reference inside of it. Yeah. If I'm doing production for an esports event or a sporting event, traditional sports event, how much difference truly is there in understanding how to do production, screen overlays, infographics, and all that? There's not much. Right. It's the cultural component of what's actually being aired that's different. So that's a creative media production degree at OU. I don't need to change any of it. What right. I can do, however, is augment it with elective course options along it. Yeah, so that they can either go down a traditional broadcast path or more of a live stream path or more of a singular podcast or a single entity path. And you can shape your degree to focus on you. And then when you graduate, you don't have an esports degree in media management. You have a creative media production degree that has an emphasis in sports production or esports production or this. Yeah. And if you can't land a job in the esports world and ESPN comes a knocking for traditional sports, you can drop the emphasis and there's nothing unethical about it. And you're not siloed with just this debt bill um, or bill of debt and no translatable skill sets to them. That's so a great point. I um, I try to, I want to always make it so that students are not siloing themselves. There's, there is a negative connotation of being too much of a Swiss army knife, yeah. but and you don't specialize even just a little bit though, you have no direction. And that was my journey is that I became a Swiss army knife to the max. And I could do so many different mm. things that I absolutely was not a master of any of them until the last five, six years of my life that I yeah. feel like. And um, but to have something that's a little bit more passionate, something that come out of it, I want to do production. Great. Well, learn these techniques and then you get a choice. 
Right. You get the choice of picking. I want to go in traditional sports. I want to go into NASCAR or Formula E or A or, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever, or MLS or NBA or NFL, or maybe it is esports. Maybe I want to go work in Riot's production team or Overwatch League. Hopefully they get some rebirth again from today's news. Yeah. God League, you know, those types of things um, all become the sea of choices for you versus if I just get something that says esports degree on it, all I have is the debt and this area that is expanding and we all know it's growing, Yeah. but it's not fully grown yet. Well, and so you might miss that curve. Yeah, I think that's a great point um, that if it's too specific, you might miss out on opportunities that are outside of that narrow vertical. Um, I've talked to a number of people who have said, John, should there be esports specific degrees or cer- certifications or these other things? And I have a very similar response to that you have, which is there's so much overlap with traditional sports, traditional broadcasting, traditional events, and esports. There's just a couple of little things that are slightly different, like with marketing, the way that you market to this uh, group, you really have to add much more value than just having an awareness play like you can in traditional sports. Um, Do you also see it as being a great recruitment tool, essentially from the perspective of, hey, Johnny, uh, you can get your marketing degree at OU, and guess what? You market OU Esports uh, live events as part of your degree. Is that? I see that. I see that as the kind of evolving landscape I'm currently in now. Now that we're offering scholarships, and now that we um, we're getting more in tune with our admissions and recruitment divisions and things like this, getting more synergy in our program. Mm-hmm. My my biggest thing with that is that I want to make whenever I have a sit down with a student, and that's one of the one of the most amazing journeys now is to go and actually recruit students. Hmm. And sit there and watch the paradigm shift of a parent who is now hearing a narrative from a brand that they know very well Yeah. say that uh, if you had any narrative that said stop playing games or a waste of time, that time is gone. Now it's another opportunity. And right. if it means getting an education at a lower cost or no cost, why would you not support that? Because I'm not interested in, in saying come be on these teams and mm-hmm. spend 12 hours a day. If you're not making your grades, guess what? You lose your scholarships, period. Right. And um and so the, these are these these things are those conversations that I have. They're really about exploring um, a lot of the mental capacity of prospective students, hmm. because if they can understand that, yes, maybe they may be gifted in a game uh, of actually playing the game, but they may not have realized that their skill sets are applicable in other things that yeah. may end up being more obtainable because the the. The reality is in traditional sports, you know, being a round, you know, number one pick quarterback in out of high school, well, there's only one. And those percentages <laughs> is that's that's the one percent, one percent of the one percent. Right. And if you want to be um, you know, I would say contender level or close to pro level in League of Legends, well, the sea of people playing League of Legends is exponentially bigger than the traditional athletics pools because True. it's accessible. Yeah. Um, and so the other thing, too, is, is like, let's just be realist right now. If this is what I can recruit you to OU for because it is warrantable, it's better than what we need or have or can help us move that forward. I don't put emphasis on winning games as a metric of success. Hmm. I put the success of my students journey to get through college and finish their college career as that success metric of this journey. And the yeah. biggest reason for that is as a mainstream topic, collegiate national championships, not very many people care about them yet. True. And the majority of the collegiate my collegiate peers, they're only gaining kind of the clout mentality off of each other. They're okay. Not, they're not, they're not gaining it heavily from administrations from other universities, they're not gaining it from some, not exclusively gaining it from like city municipalities or bigger organizations. There right. are some opportunities of that we're seeing things like that, you know, Gen G and Kentucky partnership, what mm-hmm. we're seeing at Maryville with the city of St. Louis, um, you know, they did a full city activation for collegiate, which was great to see. We're starting to see them, but they're still far and in, be- in between. And yeah. a big, another big reason for that is that a lot of the di- collegiate directors, um, regardless of the classification of school, they're pretty young. They're majority, I would say, heavily in their mid to barely upper 20s. Right. And there's a lot to learn in the political landscape of an academic university or institution that one kind of has some ageism problems and um, elitist problems just in the nature of trying to convince VPs to do anything. Because Correct. a lot of the university administrations will just say, we want esports. I don't want to invest my time in actually embracing its culture. Mm-hmm. I just want to say we have it as an additional anemone to attend our university. So they're using it as a means to recruit, but not necessarily building it because they're not willing to invest themselves personally into understanding what makes a program successful 
or empowering the director that they hire to be able to do that for them. They hamstring right. them because, wait a minute, oh my God, they're playing Call of Duty. This is really violent. I don't understand how to support this. I don't want to do that. Now we just put it ourselves in a weird situation because they weren't willing to do the upfront cost or the upfront investment. So um, those those are fun conversations when we talk about recruitment um, and they can be, but it's always a conversation of look at the entire landscape, mm-hmm. understand that you can do more than just playing the game. If it's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. Yeah. But as long as I show you that there's doors and that they are open for you, it's your choice whether to walk through them. But most of the time, most of the students have no idea that they can get a scholarship to come to OU to be a shoutcaster or right. a production person or a journalist or a community TO. Those are all things I need to. And what I'm hearing for you from you is to be successful in doing what you've done successfully at OU. It all comes down to that culture and developing that community. Uh, to um, And it all stems from there to then going to competitive to scholastic and right. to fostering and enabling these people to make money their entire lives lives doing what they love mm-hmm. yep That's and one fantastic. example i'll make briefly is i had a student a freshman just messaged me this morning who basically built a franchise league in madden that i didn't even know about or existed wow. and he's got a solid eight to ten students from ou other freshmen and sophomore that have been piloting it and over 120 people in this franchise league and I That's said, awesome. what have you, how come you haven't reached out before? I was like, well, we just kind of want to do our own thing. I was like, I get that, but um, let's have a conversation about it because I'm not interested in like taking over that or anything like that, but it's something that I can absolutely fortify because yeah. if I can say that you're an official partner and we support this development, I can benefit from it from the internal needs of OU mm-hmm. and you get more exposure because now I can market that through OU athletics when that eventually comes. And I don't have any heavy programming in that. So again, it's yeah. about saying one, I am bandwidth lit- limited, but if this student is coachable and understands that he's starting to understand some of the business needs that he's falling on us, he's falling in or hitting walls with. Sure. Then there's an opportunity to not only launch a new business formally, but also to empower the student to literally find his career before he even graduates. So it sounds like there's some learning there around communication and reporting up and maybe seeing beyond the boundaries that you see today and understanding mm-hmm. that you may need help um, tomorrow and the next day and the things that you don't know yet. That's, that's, a, that's always a lifelong learning as we get older anyway. You know, we don't want to hear crap from our parents. I'm sorry. We don't want to hear stuff from our parents or elders or anything like this. It just hits us different versus a friend or a peer or even a stranger who has no context or bias. Yeah. But the other thing too is, is that going back to one of the very first points I made about the athletics, you know, the athletes who were the jocks that punched the nerds in the face mm-hmm. for being gamers most of these people that are embracing or putting this work in are not used to having any kind of support. Mm. So in that culture, you just hunker down and you do it, which is not bad. That's entrepreneurial energy. Right. But even entrepreneurs understand at some juncture, you need help, even if it's just a little bit of help to catapult to your next plateaus. So that's where that comes in and just saying, hey, guys, I don't understand the Madden world. Great. I want to learn from you. Mm -hmm. But I also have these other resources to share with you. And that can further elevate your platform. And the only thing that I want in return is active communication and um, and then understand that I'm a trusted uh, peer in this space. And that's your IP. I don't want OU to own that, but you can help me cultivate something that is OU owned that's separate and can augment each other. And then yeah. later down the road, you graduate. Guess who I'm going to partner with if I need anything for Madden? Exactly. And I'm going to pay that company. I'm not going to outsource it. I'm going to go to an alum that was a byproduct of our program. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's super inspiring, Michael, to hear the way that you have you've built community. You've supported so many people, both um, on the academic side as well as the students that you serve every single day. Um, how can people follow you and continue to learn from what you're doing? Sure. Um, all of our socials are at OU Esports for the the departmental organizational stuff, and then OU.edu/esports. Our media outlet is SoonerEsports.org and .com. Um, either one will take you there. And then for my personal stuff, which, again, being at a D1, I bite my tongue a lot. But um, <laughs> this year, I told myself I'm going to start having a bit more presence um, now that uh, some changes are about to happen and announcements about to drop. Uh, cool. But uh, you can find me on any social channel at, at MoogDiesel, M-O-O-G-D-I-E-S-E-L. And, uh, and so if anyone has any questions or just wants to share ideas or even debate about some of my standards and doctrine, I welcome those because 
again, I don't know everything. And um, I'm also only using a compass that speaks to the Sooner Nation and what exists in OU. And that's the biggest message that I gave in that TED Talk, and I reiterate it now. What works at one location will more than likely not work more than 50% at another mm. because Oklahoma is not California, not sure. or, nor is it North Texas or, Cal- or LA or any of these other um, big kind of areas. And so my story will not exclusively relate to anyone else. A D1 school is a very different thing than a D2 and a D3 or a community college. Right. They're not exclusively translatable. And less, I would say, I would honestly argue that 50% at best translates and that's it the other 50 percent, you can't you can't it's just it's just unique to that campus and it's politics well i love that spirit of openness and your spirit to learn and also share everything that you've learned yourself um, i know our audience got a ton from this uh from this episode and look forward to uh people engaging with you very much recommend connecting with michael uh to learn much more what he's doing uh, michael aguilar thank you so much for joining me today on the dlc drop podcast Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 